How about loving the God of the Word? Thank God He gave us His Word. I want to talk to you today again about the angels of Christmas. Angels are real. We're about to see again where mighty angels of God visited earth to make the proclamation of Jesus Christ being born. This is out of Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. And give the choir a hand and the, all these musicians. They did great. Thank you, choir. They did wonderful. Now let's read it. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And look, a singular angel, probably Gabriel, because Gabriel had visited Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, to say that he would be the forerunner of Christ. And then Gabriel visited Mary and informed her that she would be bringing forth the Christ child. So I think this is probably him again. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and look what happened. When a real angel shows up, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they said, hey, dude, is that what happened? When an angel visits you, you don't take a walk down the street and ask them how they're doing. A real angel is a mighty, powerful, terrifying being. They almost always have to say what he said to Mary, or to these shepherds rather, immediately. Don't be afraid. You're not in trouble. I'm bringing you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And that's good news. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts today and help us to really celebrate the reason for this season. And I pray the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ will penetrate, Lord, far beyond this church into the darkest of hearts. Let the light shine. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him Merry Christmas one more time. <laughs> All right. Last, last week, last time, we looked at an angelic proclamation. We're going to look at a celebration today. Last week, we looked at a, a proclamation, and we talked about the latest atheist advertising campaign. Now, why would I be talking about that at Christmas time? I'm glad they're doing these campaigns. It doesn't threaten me in the least bit. As a matter of fact, it gives the church an opportunity to answer it. Well, last week we talked about this latest billboard that said this. You know it's a myth. Talking about Christmas and Jesus and all that. Then it says, this season, celebrate reason. As if our faith is not reasonable. And I contend that my faith can bear the intensest scrutiny. So you know it's a myth, this season, celebrate reason. We answered that claim last week that um, it's very reasonable, it's very commonsensical, it's very natural to assume when you look at the design that is all around us that this didn't just happen. It was designed by intent on purpose. If you weren't here, uh, I encourage you to get the CD. And if you know 
people who struggle with faith and, or mock your faith or think that it is nonsensical, take them to CD. You never know. They may listen to it and get saved. Now today we're going to look at the angelic celebration, the angels of God rejoicing over the birth of Jesus Christ. Now why were they celebrating? Well, because it was good news. I don't know about you, but it seems to me our culture right now is in dire need of some good news. And the church has good news. I got good news for you. Do not be afraid, said the angel. Said the angel I bring you good news that's going to cause great joy for all the people. Now here's the deal. Satan hates the good news that the angels brought to these shepherds. Satan hates the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has set himself against it and wars against it every single day in every way that he can. And the good news of Jesus Christ is under attack in America like I have never seen it. And I have been preaching the gospel in this country. Believe it or not, it's hard for me to believe, this June, 40 years I've been preaching. 40 years. And when I started preaching... The persecution level was nothing like it is now. Our culture is demanding an answer, is mocking our faith with not just advertisements like the one we just read, but here's the latest one, another one. Matter of fact, this one was put out by the Dallas-Fort Worth Coalition of Reason. So there's that word, reason, again. And it was the latest atheist advertisement to really directly attack this city. It was supposed to be on buses this week, but there was such an uprising, such an uh, outcry uh, from Christians against it that they took it off the buses. Yeah, you know, I'm glad, it, well, I'm glad of that, but, but I think it's time our faith is challenged and we need to answer it. Here's what the newest one said. Millions of Americans are good without God. Really? Well, that would have been on buses. You would have seen it all week long. Millions of Americans are good without God, say the atheists and the agnostics. Is that true? I mean, let's look at it. Are millions of Americans good without God? Does that bear scrutiny? Does it bear reason? Does it bear knowledge? Does it stand up to facts? Does it stand up to actual statistics and data that we've got? Here's what it comes down to. Either the truth is that we needed a Savior and his arrival was good news because he delivered us from our sins and delivered us from hell and delivered us from death and brought good news. Or we're really, actually, in reality, good without God. And we didn't need him at all. It's one or the other. So, so let's be reasonable and let's ask a reasonable question. Here's my, my question based on their statement. And this is going out over radio, and I'm so glad. I just wish I could put it on WBAP and KRLD and where all these folks are because I would really I appreciate them saying this so that we can answer it today here at Turning Point. Here's a reasonable question. If God is a myth, because that's their contention, a fable, something made up by people who can't live without the crutch of depending on some mythical God. If it's a myth and he's a myth and we're good without him, then it shouldn't matter if the myth was removed from our schools, should it? If it's just a myth, 
If, we're, if, if years ago, before it was removed, and the children were allowed to see the commandments on the walls and pray during school, then, then uh, if that being removed should not have made any difference at all. As a matter of fact, if it was a myth, it should have made things better, like when you find out that other myths aren't true. Well, you remember that in 1963, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that it was unconstitutional to pray in public schools. Didn't want our children praying. It was church involving itself in state. Well, the dastardly objectionable prayer that raised such a ruckus and caused the Supreme Court to make a decision went like this. Almighty God, think of millions of children praying this every day before school with their teacher. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon thee and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Amen. Oh, horrible. Dastardly. Ridiculous. Mythical. So the Supreme Court said, no, don't want them anymore praying God's blessing on their parents or their teachers or their country. How many of you would love and give almost anything to see them praying that every day once again? Seriously. Well, following the horrific 9-11 terrorist attacks from Islamic extremists in New York and other places around our country on 9-11, Billy Graham's daughter was interviewed on the Today Show, or rather the early show, and asked the question before a nationwide, primarily secular audience. The interviewer asked her this, how could God let something like this happen? And Graham lots gave an extremely profound response. Here's what she said. She says, you know, I believe that God is deeply saddened by this just as we are, but for years we've been telling God to get out of our schools, to get out of our government, and to get out of our lives. And being the gentleman that he is, I believe he has calmly backed out. She continued, how can we expect God to give us his blessing and his protection if we demand he leave us alone that interviewer was dumbstruck and had no response rightly so I believe this was a true statement because you see God is a gentleman and if we ask God to get out of our life if we resist him and tell him we don't want him in our thoughts or in our prayers in our homes or in our schools in our public squares or in our country he'll oblige he will eventually oblige. He comes by invitation only. I checked out the website called DisasterCenter.com because I believe that when we removed prayer from the schools, took the commandments off the wall, and we told this mythical God to get out, I want to know if that really made any difference or not because if it was a myth, it wouldn't have made any difference at all if he was just a myth. But if he wasn't a myth, if he was the living God, the true God, the God whose presence restrains evil, then I would find some facts since we're being reasonable here. So I looked at DisasterCenter.com for some history on how American schools have fared since we decided that our children needed no longer pray 
to this mythical God in the public arena at all. Not in school, not in graduations, not at all. Here's what DisasterCenter.com showed. In 1960, three years before the decision, the rate of violent crimes in this country per 100,000 persons was at 161. 161 violent crimes per 100,000 people. Now, of course, the population increased over the next few years, but the rate of violent crimes stayed more or less static, ranging from 158 to 168 per 100,000 people. Then 1963 happened. Take God out of our schools. Take God out of our children's minds. And, and it was more than that. It was more than just the schools. It was our state government, our national government, beginning to say, we don't need you, God. We don't need you in our children's minds. We don't want you involved in our affairs. We'll handle them ourselves. We have a better idea. We really don't need you. Don't need religion. Don't need God. Well, then in 1964, one year after this Supreme Court decision, things began to change. Statistically, the rate of violent crime jumped to 191 violent crimes per 100,000 people in 1964. Then in 1965, two years later, it climbed to 200 violent crimes per 100,000 people. Remember, it remained static until 63. And by 1991, violent crime had increased to 758 violent crimes per 100,000 persons. It tripled, it quadrupled, it quintupled. From 161 violent crimes per 100,000 people in 63 to 758 violent crimes per 100,000 people in 91. And I didn't have anything after 91, but I would wager. Now I wanted to know more. So my next stop was at wikianswers.com. You're probably thinking of WikiLeaks and that whole scandal deal and the dissemination of information about our government that went all over the world. But this is Wiki Answers. Now here's some of the reasonable stuff, reasonable stuff, statistical stuff that I learned there. For 15 years before 1963, pregnancies in girls ages 15 through 19 years old had been no more than 15 per 1,000 girls. Stop and think about that. 15 pregnancies per 1,000 girls for 15 straight years before 1963. Then this mythical God, without whom we do better, was taken out. After 1963, pregnancies skyrocketed 187% in the next 15 years. Morality dropped. Now when you say that phrase. You put it on the side of a bus and you say, millions of Americans are fine without God. Good without God. Are we really good without God? Well, as I read these statistics, I want to tell you, we're certainly not morally good without God. Matter of fact, the further away you take God from a culture, from a family, from a school, from an institution, from a person, the more immoral they become. Because we were born in sin. 
shaped in iniquity. The presence of God and the Word of God is a restraining influence against evil. And so is the statement true? Millions of Americans are good without God? I don't think so. Then there's the issue of STDs. Before 1963, sexually transmitted diseases among students were 400 cases per 100,000 students. And by the way, before 1963, there were two STDs. Two. Now we have 32. After 1963, STDs jumped to 226% in the next 12 years. There was a, an explosion, a skyrocketing, a proliferation of STDs along with the drop in morality. Are we really good without God? No, not morally. We're not good without God. We're not better off without God. As a matter of fact, the further you get away from God, the more you spiral down. We need God like we've never needed God before. We need God permeating every aspect of this culture. We need God back in our corrupt government. We need God back in our schools. We need God back in our homes. We need God back in our textbooks. We need God back. Not one person has disputed these numbers. And, and by the way, I, I found this curious that WikiAnswers site is quick to point out that it cannot be proven whether any of these tragic increases came about as the result of the banning of prayer. They felt like they needed to say that. Uh-huh. Remember the atheist claim on the buses. Millions of Americans are good without God. So if their claim meant that millions of Americans are morally good without God, these facts and these stats would seem to disagree. See, I want to tell you, the more you get closer to God, the holier you will become. And the further you get from Him, the more unholy you will become because we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. And everybody in this room was born with a disease called sin. And that's why the coming of Jesus Christ is good news because He came to wash away our sin and give us a new heart. Thank God. You know... <clears throat> God warned his people long ago. Listen to this in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Place my words on your hearts. Get them deep inside of you. Tie my words on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Teach them to your children. And then he tells us how often and how much and where and how. He says, talk about them wherever you are. Sitting in Starbucks, walking through the mall, driving down the highway. Teach the word of God to your children sitting at home or walking in the street. God says, talk about them. That is my words. From the time you get up in the morning until you fall into bed at night, talk about my word, lift up my word, promote my word, teach my word, quote my word. He says this. Why? He says, inscribe them on the doorposts and the gates of your cities so that number one you will live a long time number two your children will live a long time also number three and they will live on the soil that God promised to give your ancestors for as long as there is a sky over the earth your children will inherit the destiny God has for them 
if you teach my word. But you remove that word, and they spiral down. They go down the drain. And it's no wonder that today we're looking at a nation where children are doing things that make you turn the TV off and bow your head and say, God, help us. God says this in verse 26. I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God <clears throat> that I am giving you today. And the curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God. Blessing, curse. Let me ask you a question. God says if you obey my word, teach my word, spread my word, talk my word, you'll be blessed. But if you don't, you're going to be cursed. Let me ask you a question. When you look at America today, is America under a blessing or under a curse? There's no question about it. America is reaping the whirlwind for turning God out, turning his word out, walking away from him and saying we don't need him. Oh God, we need you now more than we've ever needed you before. Amen? Amen. So are millions of Americans really good Without God? No. Let me go a little bit deeper. What would America be like if Jesus had never been born? Say, well, we don't need Jesus. Let's get rid of the manger scene. You know, Kathy and I went to Marshall, Texas a couple of weeks ago. Small town, USA, known for the Christmas lights, Christmas decorations. We went and stayed with a couple of friends. and Beautiful place. But we went to the public square. <clears throat> and there in the public square... There were no nativity scenes, no signs of Jesus, no mention of his name, no mention of the gospel, no nothing but sterile, meaningless, empty tributes to a holiday in small town America. And so what they're basically telling us is this. We're better off without Jesus. We don't need Jesus. We did done just fine without him. Is that really true? What would we really be like if Jesus had never been born? Would we have been better off without him? The story is told of a minister who had a dream. In his dream, it was as if, as if Christ had never come. He drove to the church, but there was no church. He picked up his Bible, but it stopped at Malachi. In his dream, he was standing over a freshly dug grave, as many ministers do. He took some dirt and sprinkled it on the grave, and ordinarily he would have said this, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. And that's how he would have ended it, on a note of hope that that body is going to be resurrected from the grave. But in the dream... All he could say was, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, stop. Because that was the end of it. If Jesus had not come, there would be no resurrection. There's no hope at a funeral. There's no message of hope to the bereaved and the weeping that the body will one day come out of the grave. If Jesus had not been born, are we really good without him? If he hadn't been born, this would not be the year of our Lord, 2010. Because there would have been no Lord to divide time between B.C. and A.D. 
I wouldn't be standing here, and you wouldn't be sitting there, for there'd be no church, for there'd be no Christians. If you had had an accident on the way here and been gravely hurt, there would have been no Baylor All Saints or Harris Methodist Hospitals to take you to, for they were founded by Christians. Not a single Christmas carol or Handel's Hallelujah Chorus would ever have been heard. No city would be named St. Paul or St. Petersburg or Corpus Christi. We would have never heard of names like William Tyndale, Martin Luther, John Wesley, Billy Graham, Corey Ten Boom, C.S. Lewis. You make up your own list of Christians who have influenced you and inspired you. They wouldn't have been because there would have been no Jesus to change their life and set their hearts on fire. There would be no organizations such as Wycliffe Bible Translators. Campus Crusade for Christ wouldn't exist. InterVarsity Christian Fellowship would have never been. The Navigators would have never been founded. The Red Cross and there would have been nobody ringing a bell in front of Walmart for the Salvation Army for there wouldn't be one because there would be no salvation. If Jesus had never been born, are you kidding me? This would be a country we would not even want to live in if indeed this country was even here. Millions of Americans are okay without God, really? I don't think so. We're not okay without God at all. We desperately need God. Princeton, Harvard, Yale, and countless other institutions of higher learning would not exist. They were all started by Christians for the sole purpose of teaching the Word of God. We would have had no such books as Tale of Two Cities, Dickens' Christmas Carol, or The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. There'd be no Christmas to steal. We would never have heard songs like this. Think about this. Never would have heard a mighty fortress is our God. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Fairest Lord Jesus, or joy to the world. Would never have heard them. Would never have been written because there would have been no joy to the world. It's very unlikely this continent would have seen the arrival of the pilgrims who were all dedicated Christians seeking the will of God. The United States founding documents, our Constitution, would not be what it is today because 50 of the 55 signers were Orthodox Christians. The New Testament would never have been written. The New Testament that spoke to me this week. The New Testament that I devour all the time, that I'm sharing with you right now, we wouldn't have it. would never have been written. No blood of Jesus to write it. No New Testament to testify of. If Jesus had never been born... I want to tell you right now, I agree with C.S. Lewis, who put it like this. Life without God would be always winter and never Christmas. America, if it was here, would be cold, flat, dead, and hopeless like the communist countries that have denied God. Are we really good without God? Look at the communist countries and the millions and millions and millions and millions that communist dictators have slaughtered in the name of their communism and atheism. No, we're not good without God at all. We're not morally good without God. We're not 
doing okay without God? If you took Jesus Christ and God out of this country, it would be a place that no one would want to live in. You wouldn't want to be here. No wonder the angels celebrated the good news of the coming of Christ. Can I tell you today, it's not a myth. Jesus came. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. Thank God for that. The angel's message is worth repeating this. Do not be afraid, he said, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Where would you be without him? When I got saved, I was sitting in juvenile home, 16 years old, hopeless, without God, no future, no vision of of wanting to do anything with my life, washed out on drugs, caught up in the hippie culture, lied to, deceived, and destroyed. And I heard this good news. And when I heard the good news, something in my heart leapt because that's what I had been looking for in all the drugs, all that I did. I was looking for a way, another dimension, a deeper experience, a stronger meaning, a greater purpose. And when I accepted Jesus Christ, the day star was born in my heart. And you, where were you when God found you? You might have been an up and outer or a down and outer, but I promise you, you were an outer. And he touched you. And look what he's done in your life. Look at the hope you've got and the joy you've got and the power you've got, and the meaning you've got, and the purpose you've got. Thank God. I'm going to ask you to stand with me for just a moment, would you? Thank God we don't have to live in a world that never saw the arrival of Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your head for just a moment. Now listen carefully to me. Maybe you used to walk with the Lord and you've gotten away from Him. But God's been dealing with you. He's been talking to you. He's been talking to your heart. When you're alone, you think about it. At those vulnerable moments, it seems like the Holy Spirit just pricks your conscience. God is saying, I want you back on the road of righteousness I want you walking with me like you used to life has happened things have happened stresses and problems have come along and somehow or another you've drifted but God is calling you back it's that still small voice of the Holy Spirit are you on that narrow road that leads to life Come home to me. Sell out your life to me again. Because God wants to put you on the road of blessing. And He's been talking to you. And you know it. And some of you may have never in your life had the Christ of Christmas come into your heart.
You might even be here today because relatives brought you because it's Christmas time. And you're not normally in church. Can I ask you a question? What have you done with the claims of Jesus Christ? Have you even thought about it? What if he was who he said he was? And are you really good without God? You're not. But today, Jesus can be born in your heart. It can happen right now. You can have the miracle of Christmas happen in your heart right now. So if you're in either one of those two categories, Pastor, I used to walk with the Lord, but I've gotten away. Or I don't know that I've ever experienced Jesus Christ coming into my heart. You can do it today. Do it today. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Do it today. Settle the issue. With your heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor, I'm in one of those two areas. Would you give me the high honor of praying with you today? That's why I'm here. And I want you to forget about everybody in this place. And I want you to think about God and you. Would you give me the honor of praying with you today? You can say, Pastor, I'm in one of those two categories. And I will let you pray with me. Would you put your hand up right where you are? God bless you. Put them up high. God bless you and you and you. God bless you. Many of you. I want you to do something. I want you to slip out from where you are. Walk down here. Stand in front of me. I want to meet you. And I want to pray with you right here. Would you come right now? Just slip out and come. There's nobody. Everybody in this place has been in the same spot you're in right now. No one is going to think a thing. Who cares what anybody thinks? This is between you and God. So I want you to come right now. And we're going to wait for you as you come. Let's sing. I surrender.